0: This is Project Keto. I'm your host, Madeline Evergreen. This podcast is a result of my lifelong experience searching for the answers to my health struggles. I'm here to teach you the how-tos, practical tips, and tactics to eating a ketogenic diet. No more deprivation or confusion when it comes to your amazing body. Let's jump right into today's episode. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 10. Today, we are going to be talking about how to find out if you have food sensitivities and what to do about that. And before we start in with the topic of the day, I just want to do a little update on myself. I have been sick for the past week. It has been a cold, um, not very fun at all. I haven't been sick at all since... December 2019 when my entire family, my whole extended family got some kind of fluish food poisoningish sort of mystery thing at a Christmas party. but other than that haven't been sick in forever and it has not been very fun. But the good news is today as I'm recording, I'm finally feeling better, not so congested. Um, I'm getting there so very exciting. Also, My husband Christopher and I did our very first ballroom dance showcase this last weekend and it was so fun. We have been taking ballroom dance lessons since I think springtime or so, so maybe 6 or... Seven, eight months, something like that. And it's been um, really fun to learn to dance with Chris. I've danced for my entire life, other styles other than ballroom, and Chris has never taken dance, so this is brand new for him. And we had a really good time performing our routines. We did the waltz, the tango, and the foxtrot. We do American Style Smooth, and it was really great. Chris did an amazing job. I felt really good dancing with him and dancing in front of everybody. We got a lot of good feedback, and we just had so much fun. So I'm really proud of us as a couple for having a new hobby and doing this and presenting it to people for the first time, and I can't wait to learn more. If you're looking for a fun hobby, I highly recommend ballroom dance. Even if you're never going to perform or never going to compete or anything, it doesn't even matter. Ballroom dance classes are really fun and you always meet really cool people who like to get up and move around and do exciting things and it's just always a great time. So can't recommend ballroom dance enough. But I know you're not here to talk about ballroom dance, you are here to talk about food sensitivities. And the past couple of weeks, we have been talking quite a bit about digestion and what can go wrong with digestion. And one of those things that could go wrong was leaky gut, and gut dysbiosis and SIBO and many many other issues but especially leaky gut will be applying to today because leaky gut is one of the ways that you can get food sensitivities. So to keep this episode from going on for two or three or four hours long if you don't remember or you haven't heard what leaky gut is go back to the last two episodes where we talked about digestion I believe it was season six episodes eight and nine and review those episodes so that you're kind of up to speed here. But if you are familiar with leaky gut then you know exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to food sensitivities and where they come from. So what we're discussing today specifically is how can you find out which foods you are sensitive to? How do you find out? Well my favorite top recommendation would be to do an elimination diet and most of this episode I'll be talking about how to do the elimination diet and how to reintroduce foods So if you don't know what that is, don't worry, it's coming. That's going to be the bulk of what today is. Um, Another way that people find out if they have food sensitivities is to do a blood test. This is something that I definitely don't recommend for people. And that's always a surprise when people hear me say that. But there's two main reasons why I don't recommend it. One If you have leaky gut and you're sensitive to foods, it's likely that you're going to come back with a list of 100 or even more than 100 foods that you should not be eating that show up in the red zone, that the doctor will say, oh, you're sensitive to all of these hundreds of foods, so eliminate all of them and don't eat them anymore. And then you're left with about four or five things. Like maybe you can have onions and lamb and green bell peppers and, I don't know, mushrooms, something like that. And you have this incredibly limited diet that you're restricted to and that is not going to be the answer. So if you are eliminating all these foods and then you're limiting down to this tiny sliver that showed up as okay on your blood test, you are actually going to be contributing to the problem and ending up with more and more issues just by cutting out almost everything from your diet long term. And that isn't even going to help the problem. So if you remember when we were talking about leaky gut a few episodes ago, I was mentioning that when you have leaky gut, it is helpful to eliminate foods you're sensitive to, but that doesn't repair your leaky gut issues. What repairs it will be doing some sort of leaky gut healing protocol, probably using supplements or powders or or bone broths, or different kinds of tools to help repair the gut lining, and the mucosa layer, and the microvilli, and all of that. So eliminating the foods you're sensitive to can be helpful, but not if it's coming back as hundreds of foods that you're not supposed to be eating. So what is helpful about those blood work food sensitivity tests is if you do get a result where you are in the red zone, or you're sensitive to dozens or hundreds of foods, then that just shows you you have leaky gut issues and you need to do some sort of healing protocol. That's all that you should take away from that. You shouldn't take away that you need to eliminate all of those foods long term. And yes, I do recommend eliminating foods that you know are triggers, like if you know that gluten or grains or nightshades or dairy or corn or specific foods really cause you problems, then absolutely you should cut those out until you resolve the issue. But it doesn't help the problem and it actually contributes to cause more issues if you slim your diet down to almost nothing. The other reason why I don't recommend those food sensitivity blood tests is because of the cost. Oftentimes they run around four or five hundred dollars, and it's only really useful if you do those tests at least twice, and usually more than twice, multiple times to see the changes. So that's just for most people very expensive for um, getting results that aren't helpful. And the results typically are not very accurate and just do not contribute to um, helping you heal. So again, if you've done one of those blood tests, don't worry. If it came back that you are sensitive to tons and tons and tons of foods that's a sign that you should probably do the elimination diet or you should do a pretty intensive gut healing protocol. If you're on the fence about doing a blood test, I don't recommend it. I do recommend doing an elimination diet. So what is an elimination diet? You're sitting on the edge of your seat just wondering what on earth is Madeline talking about? And I do recommend that you go to the show notes and pull up this chart with the directions for the elimination diet on there. And the webpage is www.projectketopodcast.com backslash episodes backslash s6e10 like season 6 episode 10 and you'll see this chart on the webpage that shows you the elimination diet instructions. If you're not looking at the chart because you're driving that's okay you can keep listening but come back to that chart later. So what is the elimination diet in the first place? It is a diet that you eat very strictly for 21 days or longer. And this is a diet where you will be eliminating all of the common food sensitivity foods. Is that how you say it? The common trigger foods for people with food sensitivities? You get it. But for 21 days or better if you can do it longer than that, you are not eating any of the foods that people are commonly sensitive to. There we go. I think that was the right wording. And then you have a special way of reintroducing foods one at a time and journaling about it and paying attention to see if you have a reaction or not. Now the 21 days is a special number because oftentimes you can can, can continue reacting to a food 21 days after you ate the food. So I do recommend that you stick to this for at least 21 days don't do it for 3 days don't do it for 1 week or 2 weeks but at least 3 weeks. It's even better and more accurate if you can do it longer like 4 weeks, 6 weeks however long you can take it and the foods that you would be eliminating would be for the vegetable section, you would be eliminating corn or any creamed vegetables, nightshades, so look up what nightshades are. They're like tomatoes and eggplant and peppers and mushrooms. Under meat and fish, you would be eliminating pork, sausage, and bacon, processed meats like deli meats, hot dogs, sausages, and brats, shellfish, and canned meats other than water-packed fish. Those are fine. For fats, you would eliminate trans fats, hydrogenated and partially hydrogenated fats, palm kernel oil, corn oil, soybean oil, canola oil, cottonseed oil, vegetable oil, safflower. I'm not going to go through the entire list because you can look this up on the chart. For nuts and seeds, you eliminate peanuts and roasted nuts. And if you want to be really advanced, you could also choose to eliminate all nuts and seeds, but that's optional. For fruits, you would eliminate strawberries and citrus. However, lemons and limes are okay. Um, You would also eliminate all corn products like popcorn, cornstarch, corn muffins, corn itself, grains, you eliminate all of them eliminate all the legumes, eliminate all the dairy, including butter, eliminate eggs, and for beverages, you would eliminate alcohol, beer, wine, soda, energy drinks, almond milk, rice milk, soy milk, and flavored drinks. And if you're advanced and you want to go all out, you could also eliminate all caffeine. For condiments and spices, you would eliminate um, sugary things, ketchup, relish, chutney, soy sauce, barbecue sauce, vinegar. However, gluten-free vinegar is okay. Um, Condiments that have all that junk in it. So if you're wanting that specific list, you go to the chart on the webpage. And for sweeteners, you would eliminate table sugar, added sugars, honey, maple syrup, rice syrup, high fructose corn syrup, aspartame, agave, molasses, you get it. Now you might be wondering, oh my god, what is even left? So let's talk about the foods that you would be able to include. You could include um, all the vegetables that are fresh, raw, frozen, steamed, sauteed, juiced, roasted, all of them except for nightshades, corn, and mushrooms. For meat and fish, you can have all good quality poultry, fish, lamb, goat, grass-fed beef, wild game. You just eliminate the shellfish and the pork like we talked about. For fats, you could have cold-pressed extra virgin olive oil, coconut oil, avocado oil, those sorts of things. Nuts and seeds, you either choose to eliminate all of them Or you eat raw and sprouted almonds, cashews, walnuts, sunflower, pumpkin, sesame, nut butters, but not peanuts of any kind. For fruits, you could have any unsweetened, fresh or frozen or water-packed fruits. Just no citrus and strawberries. Remember, lemons and limes are okay. For beverages, you could have tea and coffee. Choose coffee that's organic and mold-free. And you could have water and unflavored sparkling water. For spices and condiments, you can have any of them that are really basic, um, clean ingredients like Himalayan salt, pepper, cinnamon, cumin, garlic, ginger, dill, oregano, any of those that aren't going to be all including. Things like added sugars or colors or dyes or flavorings or um, any of that. Also, beware of the nightshades like peppers and spice. Spicy things are typically nightshades that you would not be having. And for sweeteners, you could have lohan, stevia, lakanto, monk fruit, or you might decide to eliminate them all if you wanted to. So again, it can be challenging to memorize all of that just by listening to me talk. So I highly recommend you go and look at these instructions on the web page. So for 21 days you or longer, you only eat the foods on the side that says foods to include now let's say that there are foods on that side that you already know are a problem for you like if you already know that you cannot eat walnuts then don't eat those or if you already know that coffee does not work for you then don't include that or if you already know that garlic or uh you know cinnamon give you problems skip those you don't have to eat those things They're just foods you can include. And then for those 21 days or longer, you would not eat any of the foods that say foods to exclude. It does not work for you to cheat. It just, this will whole, the whole experiment will be wrecked if you just have a little bit of some of the foods to exclude, even once, even a little bite or a taste, or if they accidentally put it in your food that you got from the restaurant, then you actually need to start over. So remember, you can be reacting to foods for a minimum of twenty one days. It can't even go longer, but at least twenty one days after eating them. So it's very important that you are very diligent with this and specific so that when you start to reintroduce foods, you know that something is different you You know that you've probably moved fast the moved past the phase where you are reacting. So then when you reintroduce something, you are starting from like a baseline. Now, some people experience a lot of difficulty with this elimination diet period of 21 days or longer. Some people experience withdrawal symptoms where they have serious cravings or they actually have symptoms like being shaky or... Uh, Queasy, or they can't get out of bed, especially if you have been eating a standard American diet or you're used to eating lots of processed foods or lots of breads and pastas and muffins and candies and treats, then this can be incredibly challenging to just go all in on. But some people actually feel amazing. They love the way they feel on this diet and they actually want to stay on it longer than 21 days because they're feeling so fantastic. If you are one of the people that struggles deeply with doing the elimination diet because you're having cravings or it's just, it's just feeling like such a challenge because you're not used to eating this way and you're used to eating the muffins, the pastas, the toast, the breads, all that kind of stuff, even um, candies, popcorn, alcohol, all of those things, then instead of going through torture, I would highly recommend that you get on a supplement called Crave Curb. And I'll link to that in the show notes so you can check it out for yourself and order that if you want it. And you could start taking the Crave Curb a couple of days before you begin the elimination diet. So you already start to feed your brain with some really good neurotransmitters that you need to kind of get off of the cravings and especially the carb cravings if that's you and then continue taking the crave curb throughout the entire elimination diet and you're going to ex- experience uh, it's going to be easier for you. Crave Curb is not something that's going to suppress your appetite or um, make you never want to eat. It doesn't work that way. It's just full of some amino acids that help your brain um, be fueled with what it needs to feel happy and feel good. Remember we were talking about how when you eat foods like gluten and dairy, it gives you a dopamine response. It's kind of a narcotic-like effect and you get this pleasure response when you eat those foods and that's why it's so addictive. We talked about that a couple episodes back. Well, you can't just get over that with willpower. So if you do just cut foods out that you're addicted to all at once, then you do have withdrawals, serious withdrawals, kind of like a drug addict would or an alcohol addict. So if that's you, get on the Crave Curb or some other kind of specific a combination of amino acids, some targeted amino acids to help you so that you can get some neurotransmitters and get pleasure in your brain where it's supposed to be from something other than that substance like bread or cheese. And then if this is all really easy for you, then you are one of the lucky ones. Lucky, lucky people. Okay, so how do you reintroduce foods? So once you've avoided the foods on the avoid list for at least 21 days, you slowly reintroduce the foods back into your diet one by one. If you already know one of the foods on the list causes you problems, you just don't reintroduce that. Like if you already know that gluten is an issue for you, just don't reintroduce it. Like for me, I don't plan to eat gluten ever again in my entire lifetime. I would not be reintroducing that But some people should actually reintroduce foods like that if this is kind of new for you because you want to know what the experience is like when you reintroduce them. So here's what I'm talking about. On day one of your reintroduction period, so this is after you've completed at least 21 days of the elimination diet, then we're going to call this first day of the reintroduction period day one, you reintroduce only one new food. All the other foods that day are from the elimination diet, okay? So you only reintroduce one new food. Like, let's say you're going to reintroduce wheat, and you eat that food two or three times that day, and journal about it. Write down any symptoms that you experience, and these symptoms might be something like joint pain, brain fog, anxiety, panic attacks, stomach pain, constipation, diarrhea, hives, It could also be something really mild like fatigue or a little bit of acid reflux or not being able to exercise very hard. But journal about it and keep journaling about it for the next three or four days because you can continue to react to that food more than just the day that you ate it. Okay, Day two, remove all the avoid foods and eat only from the elimination diet. Okay, so you don't eat the gluten again, you don't reintroduce another thing on day two. On day two, you go back to eating the elimination diet. Day three, you continue to eat only from the elimination diet. And then day four, you reintroduce a second food. So this might be bell peppers. You pick a food from the list, reintroduce it, eat it two or three times that day, journal about it. And then the next day on day five and day six, you're still not eating any of the foods from the avoid list. So you go back to the elimination diet foods. So if you weren't sure what I'm talking about, remember to just go to the show notes and look at the directions because they're written out there. But essentially... think of this as uh, like a three-day cycle. So the first day you reintroduce one food and eat it a couple of times and then the second and the third day you eliminate that again and go back to eating only the foods that you were eating during the elimination period. Then the next day, so the fourth day, then you reintroduce another food and then for the next two days you don't eat that food and you go back to eating only the foods on the elimination diet. Does that make sense for everybody? So it's a three-day cycle. It's a long, slow process of reintroducing the foods. And on the directions, I wrote out a sample reintroduction schedule on a little calendar. So you can see it um, kind of in calendar form. That can be really helpful to kind of grasp this idea. And it's very important that you are journaling every single day it doesn't have to be journaling, you know, like long journal entries about your feelings or about your dreams. But what I'm talking about is journaling about your symptoms. So write down if you experience something like gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, upset stomach, you're tired after eating, you have fatigue, you have brain fog or fuzziness, you've lost motivation, you have a bad mood, anxiety, you get water retention, like a puffy face or puffy fingers or dark circles under your eyes, sinus congestion, throat clearing airborne allergies might get worse, joint pain or stiffness, acne, skin rashes, eczema, red skin, or any other uncomfortable symptoms that you don't normally experience. And the reason you want to journal about this is because you will forget. Believe me, you think you're going to remember, but you'll be going through so many foods that I promise you, you will absolutely forget. Now one tip I have is when you reintroduce eggs, introduce the yolks and then introduce the whites or vice versa. It doesn't matter which one's first, but do the yolks and the whites separately because people are often sensitive to only one of those, not typically the whole egg. Like for me, I can eat egg whites, egg yolks give me vertigo and hives and a really rapid racing heart rate. So do those separately and you can also reintroduce duck eggs and chicken eggs separately. So what if you are a person who is severely sensitive to foods and even the foods on the elimination diet don't work for you? Like even like vegetables don't work for you. Nuts don't work. Spices don't work. Sweeteners don't work. Like everything just doesn't work for you. So if that's you, like I've been there. I have lived that way for years until... The last year and a half when I've been on this kind of different journey. If that's you, then I would recommend you do a carnivore diet as your elimination diet. So you're getting even more specific and narrow. And then on the carnivore diet, you would start, in this case, if you're using it for an elimination diet, you would start by eating ruminant meats only. So beef, lamb, goat, Any ruminant animals, you eat meat or broth from those animals only. That's it. So you could eat beef, lamb, goat, bison, uh, I think that would be it, venison. Any of those ruminant animals. And then you could reintroduce starting with other meats. Starting with things like chicken or turkey, pork, Uh, fish and then reintroduce eggs starting with the yolks or the whites and then the other one the yolk or the white and then possibly reintroducing organic raw grass-fed dairy and that would be your elimination diet then once you've done all of those reintroductions then you start to reintroduce plant foods like vegetables one at a time you know, maybe some nuts or seeds or fruits, maybe something like stevia or Lakanto or monk fruit or maybe some spices. But very slowly you reintroduce those foods. And then if you wanted to, you slowly reintroduce foods from the foods to exclude list. So if you're doing that starting from a carnivore diet, it's likely that this will take you like a year or even more to reintroduce everything. But it can be incredibly... Helpful, especially for people who are really struggling with SIBO or IBS or Crohn's, any of those conditions, you can get serious, serious help from a carnivore diet. Now, I'm not really a fan of saying that you should do a carnivore diet for the rest of your life. Um, some people do that and they're really thriving, but that would be similar to me saying that you should do your food sensitivities blood test the one that I said that I don't recommend. But if I was recommending that you do that food sensitivities blood test and just quit eating all of the hundreds of foods that are on the red list, on the black list, on the list that says not to eat, and just go the rest of your life, never eat any of those foods ever again. That would be kind of like saying you should do a carnivore diet strictly for the rest of your life and never reintroduce plants ever again. And, you know, if you're never going to do any gut healing ever, and this is the only thing that you're ever going to do, well, I guess maybe you can get by doing that, but you're never going to be thriving and, and have amazing health. I always like to remind people that the sign that I look for in someone that is truly healthy is that they can eat a huge variety of foods and thrive. They can have really great lean body mass. They can be strong, toned, fit, Really, really smart, be able to exercise hard, sleep deeply at night. They're able to have kids. They're able to do projects. They're able to get up early in the morning and get going. They're able to laugh and have fun. And they're able to have clear, glowing skin, hair that grows, all of these things that we all strive for. It's not about beauty like we need to all look beautiful. It's about can you actually thrive? And eat a massive variety of foods? Can you eat pretty much any food and thrive? Or are you somebody who has to eat this teeny tiny range of foods? You only can eat animal foods or you can only eat these five or six foods and then you can sort of get by. No, that is not a sign of health. That is a sign that you are at the very beginning of your healing journey and that you need to do some serious gut healing work. So, again, remember that this elimination diet is not to heal your leaky gut. The elimination diet is a tool for you to discover which foods you're sensitive to so that in the meantime, you can eliminate some of those foods while you are working on gut healing in addition. Now, what if this is too overwhelming? This is this is a lot to ask. I understand that. I'm going to say most people are not going to do the elimination diet, even though I went through all of this and I'm explaining it all. Most of you are not going to do this, and I understand. It's very challenging, and it's very inconvenient, especially if you're doing it alone and your family isn't on board. So you could modify the elimination diet. You could just decide for at least 21 days or longer, I'm going to cut out gluten. And that's it. And you're going to keep eating everything else that you eat. Or maybe you say, I'm only going to cut out dairy. Or I'm only going to cut out sugar and gluten. Great. Try it. See what happens. But I do have to warn you that you might not feel any better when you eliminate those foods because you might still be reacting to other foods that you're eating and have, you know, negative responses. So you could cut out the gluten or the dairy or whatever you pick, and then you feel the same, and then you, then you reintroduce it and you feel the same, and then you think that you don't have any problem with gluten. So it's just tricky. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it still works to eliminate just one food, but it's worth a try if that's it's that's the best that you can do great. Try it. Just try it and see what happens. And just have an open mind that it's not going to be the most accurate way of doing an elimination, but it could give you some piece of the puzzle. I do also want to just uh, make one other point. Sometimes people say that they, they can't be sensitive to gluten or dairy or grains or corn or anything else because they've been eating those foods their whole life and they're still alive. They're still doing fine. They don't have a rash. They're not bloated. But then they do eliminate it, and they feel kind of the same. Then they reintroduce the food, and it's like they have been hit by a train. They're in bed, or their joints hurt so bad, or their brain fog is so bad they have to take the day off work, or their stomach hurts, or they get so bloated they can't even pull on their pants. And that's because oftentimes when we continue eating these foods we're sensitive to for years on end, our bodies kind of get used to it and find ways to just put up with it. It doesn't mean that it's okay to eat that though. So just because you're feeling okay right now with your diet, it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have food sensitivities or you don't have leaky gut. It might just mean that a lot of the symptoms are kind of Hidden or suppressed, or more, most of your symptoms are invisible ones that you can't see because it's going on inside of your body. Like your cells are really weak, or your organs are beginning to go downhill and fail, or your stomach acid is starting to disappear, or your gut lining is beginning to degrade. And you can't see any of that, but we know that it's happening if you are eating foods that you are sensitive to. So, I know that this is a lot. I know the the elimination diet or doing a carnivore diet can feel challenging, but it can also completely open up your world and help you see things that can give you some relief in the meantime while you also do some deeper work on gut healing. And before we wrap up the episode today... I cannot forget my favorite part of this, my special gift to you. This is something that I have been loving lately, and that is baking. I have been baking some really fun, low-carb, gluten, sugar, dairy, grain-free Christmas cookies for some family members. My father-in-law is diabetic, and he loves to eat treats just like all of us, so I love to bake for him and stock him up with things that he can eat. And my grandpa, he is not doing the best. And so it's really great that he, you know, cuts out a lot of the junk food so that he can feel good in the meantime. And I've been sending him some baked goods. And I'm planning to give out lots of treats for little Christmas gifts to my friends, my family, my loved ones. And so my little gift to you today is my keto, low-carb, gluten-free, sugar-free, dairy-free gingerbread cookie recipe. And I'm going to be putting that link in the show notes today. And you can make these gingerbread cookies in just simple little circles that you roll into balls and smash them down. Or you can roll them out and use cookie cutters and just go out with them. I'll also be including my sugar free, dairy free royal icing. So if you like to get fancy and get out the piping tools and pipe some decorations on your cookies, you can absolutely do that. So um, look for that in the show notes and I really appreciate you for listening. Thank you so much for being here and please rate and review this show in Apple Podcasts as your way to pay it forward. And I will catch you all in a week.